0: The premium required for a 95% put on S&P with one-year expiry is as low as it's been since 2008.
1: Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Today, we're going to look through the eyes of an experienced options trader to understand how these instruments are used both to hedge against downside risk as well as deliver outsized returns. Imran Laka is the founder of Options Insight and was put on my radar by Darius Dale after my excellent interview with him a few months back. Options trading volume has positively exploded higher in recent years. We also have seen the introduction of zero days to expiration options within the past year, which many think has changed the daily dynamics of the overall financial markets. To shed light for us into this poorly understood part of the markets we sit down with imran himself imran thanks so much for joining us today thanks adam thanks for having me i'm really looking forward to it and again i want to give props here to darius for connecting us here um really looking forward to this discussion um you know options is a topic that comes up from time to time on this channel not super often mostly in the context of our financial advisory partners who use them really more as sort of like insurance in their portfolios to provide some, some downside protection. Um, but I know there's an awful lot more to the space than that. And so I'm really looking forward to you being here to demystify it for everybody. Before we get into the details of options, though, I'd like just to ask you the general question that I ask everybody at the start of, of uh, these interviews. And in particular, um, you know, your specialty is going to be um, helping us understand what the options market might be telling us about a lot of things in the larger financial markets and economy going forward. So uh, this question I think has really you know, particular um, interest for you, at least I'm very interested in your response to it, which is, what is your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets?
0: Sure, sure. So um, I think you know, coming into the start of this year, everyone was looking for a recession. Um, and you know, a lot of investors were fairly light in their positioning. And we, we could see that in the options market um, quite clearly that in, the investor positioning was light because usually when investors are long the market in any meaningful size, they want to buy protection. And there was no real bid for protection. As you mentioned, right, one of the probably the major use of options from an institutional standpoint is to buy puts and sell calls. And you're doing that to make sure that. Yes, you're long the market, but if we get a significant drawdown, you're protected. But if you're not long the market, you don't need that protection. And so we saw protection being priced very cheaply early on in the year. We saw a bit of it coming in, a bit of demand for protection coming in as people got a bit excited about the China reopening and that was going to drive things higher. We were going to get a bit of of a boom there in commodities, et cetera. But that fizzled out pretty fast and didn't really materialize. You then got the March regional banking issues, which really spooked people and said, "Okay, the recession is coming even quicker than we thought. Lending standards are tightening up. You know, this is a nightmare. So investors just didn't have it. And when when we started to then break and the AI revolution started to kick in and the tech stocks really started to go, people kind of got got forced back into the market to some extent because they just didn't own it. And you really saw call options needing to get bought, because that was the protection that investors actually needed because they were too underweight the market. So that's what we were seeing in options. Um, You know, the economic resilience looks like it's led to more sticky inflation. If you look at core measures and things like that, uh, we've seen a a yield spike recently. One of the big drivers of all cross-asset vol has been rates volatility. So you had a period between sort of April and July where rates vol was coming down a bit. Everyone was kind of thinking, you know, the rate cycle was done. Yields were kind of contained. They were in check. And so that brought all volatility down. But in the last month, since the Bank of Japan kind of dropped a bit of a bombshell, moved their yield curve control cap, then you got the Fitch downgrade of US debt. You've got a load of new issuance coming from the Treasury being announced more than expected. All these factors have kind of culminated in a bit of a yield spike. And that's got yields moving again. And that's started to filter through to some cross-asset vol. I mean, equities is still relatively immune to it, it seems. Um, Certainly doesn't look like there's massive panic there. I mean, you look at the levels of the VIX, they're still pretty low. Uh, They had a little pop recently, but they're still pretty low in in the major context, longer-term context. But yeah, rates vol is really in the driving seat. And so that kind of gives us the lead on what other vol is going to do. Um, you know our view on rates vol is important, and, and we need to watch that very closely.
1: Okay. So you used a term there a couple of times, vol, shorthand for volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, volatility is important when it comes to options because options are really all about kind of on betting on changes in price. Um, so I want to dig a little deeper into kind of the role of volatility in options trading and whatnot, but real quickly, just so we can bring on as many of the viewers' currently watching this along this discussion with us. Can we just zoom way up high for a moment and just have you very simply explain in the 60 second version of mm-hmm. what exactly are options? <laughs> like how okay, so how, uh, how are they sure. used and, and you know what are they and how are they used? Sure, sure. So
0: unlike buying a share, an option is an option to buy a share, let's say, or sell a share, okay? So uh, a call option gives you the option to buy a stock at some point in the future at some predetermined price, whereas a put option gives you the option to sell that stock at a predetermined price, okay? So a put option can act a bit like insurance. So you might buy a put option against a a position in in stock that you have, and if the stock goes down dramatically, you'll use your put option to exercise it, to get rid of that stock at the predetermined price, which is the strike price, and that will mean you don't lose as much as you would have lost. And then a call option is, well, if you don't actually wanna buy the stock, because you're not sure it's gonna go up, but just in case it runs away from you and you didn't get a chance to buy it, you could buy a call option instead. And then you would exercise that call to actually purchase the stock if it did end up going higher. And it would just cost you a small amount of premium to buy that call as a kind of a just in case it rallies type trade.
1: Great. And and just to sort of simplify the, the point there, um, uh, you are spending, a smaller amount of money today to protect or, or to apply to a bigger position, usually. Um, and uh, you are, it's basically a bet that says, okay, if, if k- these conditions happen, I get to do X, which will be favorable for me. And um, uh, if, that, if those conditions don't get met, you lose the money that you use to buy the, the option. Um, but what's nice about that at time zero is you know what your maximum downside is, right? You basically yes. say my option trade, you know, I'm only going to lose this amount, unlike a stock, which let's say you're short of stock and it theoretically could rise as high as infinity, you know, <laughs> you'd have unlimited losses with an option. You're limiting your losses at the time you're placing it, correct?
0: That is correct. If you're buying the option, yes, that, that is the safe way to do it where you can sleep easy at night when you buy options the problem with buying options is that if that's all you ever do with options you're probably going to lose money over the long run so what a lot of options traders do is they sell options right because options by definition have this premium have this risk premium that you can capture if you sell them right obviously it's risky you you want to be a professional you want to know what you're doing and be well educated before you do stuff like that but actually most of the money in options is made through selling them and like for example, that period between April and July that where markets just didn't do a lot and implied vol, implied volatility went down. And that's a that's a key component of option prices. That was all about selling vol, right? Investors invest the only way investors could make any money was by selling optionality, right? That was the way they were harvesting yield, that was the way they were making returns because markets kind of weren't really going anywhere. So that became the kind of trade the in vogue, let's say, um, over the last few
1: months. Okay, and, and this is goes back to the importance of volatility, right, where you're, you're, you're placing a bet that generally, not always, and we'll talk about it in a second, but generally is expecting conditions to change, right? So if prices goes up dramatically, something happens, if prices go down dramatically, something happens, and then my option kicks in to where I can exercise it and do the thing I bought the option for. Right. Um, so, if volatility is high, then it gives you more potential to to be right, right, on the options bet. Right. Mm-hmm. If option is low, it's not. Um, now, again, there are some strategies which we can talk about if you want to collars, etc., where you're 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 betting the price is not going to change. Um, but that's I don't think the majority use of of options. Correct me if if I'm wrong. But basically, to your point, when when the markets are unusually stable where volatility is unusually low the professionals just focus on selling more because they're capturing that option premium because the volatility is not there to trigger the change in price very much so to a certain extent they are betting on prices staying similar did i did i describe it okay
0: yeah and and you know you mentioned earlier about zero dte flows right the the big pickup in volume of one day optionality and that that as well is very much used by the professional options traders to sell volatility. So what they're basically betting on when they when they trade all these massive volumes that are going up in zero dt options are actually coming a lot of them from systematic sellers of these options and they're often multi-leg strategies where they sell they sell some options, they buy some options against it but they're trying to capture a range in the market that you're not really going to break out of. And if that happens, you'll get to earn a certain amount of income every single day. You just do that trade again and again and again and again. Some days it will move against you and you'll stop out of your position intraday and you'll take a hit. But what these guys are doing is they're constantly coming back maybe multiple times a day, certainly every single day, and they're selling, this, selling all these options to the street. So this is why volatility is getting compressed because the supply of it is rising because people are using these super short-dated options as a, as a yield enhancement, yield earning strategy, and that is giving market makers, who are, the, who are the people who provide liquidity in the banks, et cetera, that's just giving them a load of volatility on their books. And those guys can only make money from that volatility if markets move. So they need the market to move, and the people who are selling the vol, they need the market to stay still. So that's, it's a battle between those two kind of counterparties, but certainly over the last few months, it's it's certainly a battle that's been won by the option
1: sellers. By the option sellers. So interesting. So there's a couple of things wrapped up in here I'd like to explore for you. Um one, I said in the introduction that um that options volume, options trading volume has has increased pretty dramatically, let's say over the past decade. Um and uh part of that, but it's a very recent part of it has been the advent of zero dte options that you just described for us mm-hmm. um so i want to try to take both of those in in their individual components if we can kind of why has, have options in general become so much more common to to be traded versus how they were in the past and then on the dte stuff um i do want to get i want to dig into your into that with you too as to why that was introduced and is it a net good thing for markets, or is it distortive and getting in the way of price discovery and maybe creating other issues that we we wouldn't want to have created? So, if we can, let's let's start with just general options trading uh, volumes uh, in and of themselves. Why have they surged so much in the past several years?
0: Sure. So, I, mean, I think really it was after COVID that they really exploded. Okay, and um, that's because the market obviously had a fast thirty percent drawdown in in March. 2020 and you you had you'd had more education you had more people more more um platforms allowing retail to trade options and so retail were kind of starting to cotton on to the idea that they could get exposure to quite a lot of shares quite a lot of stock without needing the money to buy all that stock right like we said yeah, that's what we call leverage so options were a way for small retail investors to gain leverage to the market and to to moves and then you also had these big forums like uh, where they would talk amongst each other and and decide which shares they were going to buy which which stock they were going to go after so you had the whole meme stock craze where you know they were going after stocks with with big short interest to try and create a squeeze and they were able to do it because they had the firepower because if if all of them bought options instead of just buying the stock that would have more impact on the stock Right, and the leverage that they got to to actually in their they could you know imagine imagine a hundred people spending a thousand dollars each on some on some call options, right? The impact of that is so much bigger than someone buying a hundred grand worth of shares on the stock. Okay, so it was the leverage that they got from the money, and they were they were fine losing that thousand dollars, right? They were all getting checks from the government to gamble with. It wasn't they, their they money. They
1: were being given the money. Yeah, exactly. They've
0: been given the money. So they've been given the money. They're being locked at home and they've got nothing to lose. And now, and they've got all these social media forums telling them we've, we've quite high quality research a lot of the time, right? A lot of these, there were some informed people on some of these platforms who knew what they were doing. And then there was a lot of people just happy to go and follow them. And, and that's what's created a bit of a monster, which we, you know, we started to call the retail army. <laughs> Certainly, in that period in uh, early 2021, uh, and they were really, they were really becoming a bit of a force to be reckoned with, uh, and they were running over a few hedge funds here and there. So um, that was that was kind of how it all took off. Um, and since then, a lot of these people have been burnt because they they were kind of one trick ponies. They were just buying calls, buying calls, buying calls. And like I said to you you keep buying options every single day or every single week, it's gonna come back to haunt you at some point, right? Generally, so you have to kind of be a bit more versatile and know when it's right to buy and when it's right to sell. And also, after once you run a market maker over a couple of times, they, they learn pretty quickly and they learn how to price these things more correctly and not to give you as much liquidity as maybe they gave you before, because um, they understand the price impact that it's that some of this flow can have, right? So, So we got the adjustment there. Uh, but that's kind of—I I, think—that explains largely, you know, why the volumes exploded and and kind of what was going on.
1: All right, and I'm, I'm curious. So, has that maintained? I don't have the sense that it spiked and then went back down to levels to where it was pre-COVID. Has it? Has it? Is it stabilized at a much higher baseline than it was before? And, and if yeah, so, I, it's I, keeping those people in. I'd—I'd I'd say um, it's kind of migrated, right?
0: It, it was all the crazy meme stocks. Then it moved to like the big cap tech stocks so you know tesla trades insane tesla nvidia apple amazon that they trade monster volumes you know on a daily basis uh, in terms of options but it's not just retail a lot a lot of institutions are trading this stuff as well mm-hmm. right so that you know that's the thing a lot of people think even the zero dte stuff a lot of it is institutions who are trading it because they recognize the leverage that they can get and you know they they like that and that they're trying to make returns and they're getting amazing leverage on their capital, so they're they're finding it beneficial to use those options, right? Uh, but yeah, the meme stocks have kind of died out, and that now a lot of people are moving over to index, right, with these zero DTEs and doing various strategies in those instead of single stocks as well.
1: Okay, um, so let's get into the zero DTEs. Um, in, in other words, you know what. Is it a net good or a net concern from your perspective in terms of the impact it's having on markets? Um, and and maybe as we go there, let me just ask, kind of in general, um, look, you know, options exist for very good reason. Um, people that become experienced in trading them um, can actually do quite well, um, both in protecting downside and you know giving themselves opportunity to have really big outsized gains. Um, but it takes a while to develop that expertise, right? Um, yeah. uh, you know, the average fund manager doesn't beat the market every year. You know, options are kind of that to a certain extent on steroids. Um, so my question is, is was the sort of surge of retail capital coming into markets um, in the way that it did, has that resulted in a net good or a net bad for the markets? Obviously, it was net bad for all the, folks that just kind of came in and traded without a lot of experience and lost a lot of money and aren't trading anymore but mm. now that they presumably sort of been you know flushed out is the market in a better state because of all this or a worse one um you know i don't i don't think there's a
0: there's necessarily a an exact answer to this question i think that in general giving people more options excuse the pun, it's not a bad thing, right? Whether you can trade one day, two day, one week, one month, whatever, it's fine. Um, It's just that really it's a question of whether that liquidity that's being provided is gonna be there when you need it or whether it's gonna evaporate. So I think what can happen is people get lulled into a false sense of security, right? So right now there's quite a lot of supply. There's a lot of supply around of options. People have found it very profitable to do option selling strategies that is compressing the implied vol levels for very short-dated optionality. And what that does is that allows people who need to use options to hedge to spend less and less premium to do it. So there was a chart going around from Bank of America showing that the the premium required for a 95% put on S&P with one year expiry is as low as it's been since 2008.
1: So that right. is one example. Sorry to so interrupt on that, because I, 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 we did flag that like a week or two ago on this program that the put insurance was really cheap on the S&P. Mm-hmm. The markets have corrected a little bit since then, not corrected, but pulled back a little bit since then. Is it still that cheap? Like, is it, is it still a really it's affordable funny. time to buy downside protection?
0: It's funny, like I wrote in my daily piece today that it's, it's, a, it's factually correct that puts are low in terms of the premium that you have to spend to buy them. But lar- a large part of that is because interest rates are at 5%. Mm-hmm. Because interest rates filter into the pricing of options. So the price of a put option, if rates are at zero, is going to be different, is going to be more expensive than the price of a put option if rates are at five because the put option is priced off what we call the forward. And the forward cares about where rates are, basically. So it's not just because downside protection is offered only and no one wants it. It's also because rates are a lot higher than they've been in the last decade or so. It's just that if you don't care about that fact, and you just want to spend premium to protect your portfolio from a five plus percent drawdown, yes, the premium is low. But it's not as if if you look at it correctly in terms of from a volatility perspective and a skew perspective, and you and you look at it like a vol professional would, there have certainly been times, and 2017 sticks out like a sore thumb, where volatility and skew, which is downside volatility, have been even cheaper than they are today. It's just that the cost of protection looks very cheap today because rates are so high.
1: Because of higher rates. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting to know. Um, so not not the... Not the cheapest it's ever been, but it sounds like you're saying still on the pretty cheap side. And yeah. maybe we'll get to this in a little bit. But in talking macro, but um, you know, I think that there's a, a healthy amount of people probably watching this video who are a little suspicious about the continuation of the stock market rally that we've had for the first half of this year and maybe have some concerns that the lag effect from you know, Fed's rate hikes and QT and stuff is going to start hitting more as we go into 2024 and that there could be a chance for another downturn, you know, kind of a repeat of like what we saw last year. If I hear you correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, and you're not offering individual investment advice here, but it sounds like you're saying it's, it's actually a pretty good time to buy some downside protection right now, and at least in the major indices like the S&P, because it is relatively pretty cheap.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. Longer term, you know, there are some structural issues and we've all been, I mean, myself included, pretty surprised at the resilience of the market and the resilience of the economy. Right. So I think if you haven't already bought protection, you'd be mad not to be layering some on now. Right. Given the valuations, given where things have stretched to. But it's very hard to call timing on these things. Right. So to just get completely out of the market and not be invested at all is if you've got a benchmark that you're chasing is probably not the right trade right now. Um, You know, we've seen some technical factors in the market. We we you know, we look on the whole point of what we do options insight is we look under the hood at what the options price action is telling us. Right. So you've got a lot of people who look at technical analysis, which is just price action, you know, to try and get a feel for where different assets are headed we look at that too but on top of that we look at the price action of volatility which tells us what options pricing is doing and what that can often do is that can give you lead and lead indicators as well or it can give you a sense of positioning and whether there's fragility in the positioning or not so in the in the latest pullback that we had in the market from say 4600 to 4450 it's kind of you know you're you're looking at it before the sell-off the skew started to pick up so there there was a bit of protection demand coming in as yields started to break out before the market really turned now that the market's actually had a pullback and it's not a massive pullback we're talking like three percent ish three percent it's not a big pullback but you're not really seeing any follow-through in terms of implied volatility so the fact that market participants in the vol space are not needing to go and buy vol now after a three four percent pullback shows you that there doesn't seem to be a lot of fragility down there and actually suggests that this pullback is kind of getting near exhaustion yep and we may well get another push higher before this thing ultimately corrects in a more meaningful way
1: okay and so it sounds like and again please correct me if any of this is is incorrect but it sounds like that the options market gives us a good reflection of investor confidence because you're basically seeing whether people are getting more aggressive or more conservative with these more speculative bets um and if that's true um does it does it tend to serve as a leading indicator like do you see people tend to change their options positions before you see the general market with just the straight, long, or short positions uh, follow suit?
0: It's it's interesting because it kind of varies. Like sometimes I would say you get divergences, right? So you get situations where, like you had a few weeks ago, where markets are rallying, markets are going up, but downside protection is starting to now find a bid, right? So that's a divergence because what the spot market's doing and what the options market's saying are kind of different. And that's when the options market looks a bit more like a lead indicator at times. OK, but then if, say, you do that, you do actually get a sell off and you get a material sell off of 10 percent And then the options market just goes crazy and volatility spikes and skew spikes and goes to quite extreme levels because it is a mean reverting asset volatility. Right. In its nature. That kind of gives you a, a counter signal that kind of gives you the reverse signal that we've hit peak panic. There's no one left to buy protection. Everyone's paid up for it. You know, everyone's bearish. Vol's as high as it's been in months. And that then tells you, okay, this is enough is enough. We're very likely to bounce now, basically, right? So so it, it can kind of give you different signals at different times based on the context of what the market's
1: actually doing. Okay, which obviously I think makes a service like yours. It's, it's a big part of the value of it, right? Which is you're, you're telling people, you know, Here's what it's telling us right now, given the current situation. And we think this is either a leading indicator or not for reasons X, Y, or Z. Exactly.
0: Um,
1: Okay. Um, So super interesting. I wanna get back to the question I asked because I think I pulled you off of it, which was the the zero DTE option dynamic that we have now, where there's just a ton of volume uh, coming in and out of the market every day, multiple times a day with these super short bets, it sounds like from what you said that that's a big contributing factor to why volatility itself, at least as measured by the VIX, has really sunk back to near record low levels and is really just not moving these days. In fact, I, I see more and more discussions about like, is is VIX even a useful indicator anymore or is it is it, is it broken now basically by this kind of suppression from zero DTE? Um, Again, I'm going to get back to, and maybe this is the wrong question, but it's the only way I know how to ask it. Uh, on a net-net basis, do you see zero DTE options as a force for good or a force for distortion that's maybe not helpful?
0: Yeah, so what I think is happening is, you're right, volatility is getting suppressed by the zero DTE flows, Okay, because the, 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 kind of only, the, the main way to make money out of zero DTEs is to sell them. OK, and enough people are doing that and that's suppressing volatility. The reason that suppresses volatility is because the people who are selling them to the market makers, market makers are buying them. And what market makers have to do when they buy options, if they've got no one else to sell them to, is they have to trade around those options. So that's when you that's when it, you have to talk about a Greek called gamma. OK, so this is kind of the most used word on FinTwit these days. What, you know, what's the street's gamma position, okay? And, and you can kind of think of gamma as as your exposure to realized volatility, what actually happens, okay? And so when, when all these sellers come and sell very short-dated options to market makers, market makers now need to trade those futures of the S&P, for example, very, very actively. The minute the S&P goes up a little bit, they're selling it. The minute it goes down, they're buying it back. And, and the act of them selling it as it goes up and buying it as it goes down in itself, in the size that they're doing it, stops it from moving.
1: It keeps it, it contained. It's like keeping it the tiger in the cage. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Because that, And that's them trading their gamma to capture money that works against their time decay bill that they have when they buy options. Okay. So it's a bit complex because you you need to understand the Greeks and what gamma and time decay and all those things are. But- Essentially, just think of it like these sellers of zero DTEs are giving the street a load of options. And the only way the street can not lose money on those options is by violently trading futures, frantically trading futures intraday, which is keeping the market very, very contained. Okay, so that is suppressing vol. Now, what could how could that change? Well, when you get Some sort of news event or some sort of data point that surprises the market in a big way, then all of a sudden, these these um, the thing about these options is they're very the 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 exposure they have is very local. It's very concentrated around certain strike prices. Okay, so if the market suddenly jolts 100, 200 points away from all these option positions, that position's gone. It's not there anymore. So it's no longer holding the market stable. And then, on top of that, if the market makers don't want to offer you or offer anyone else the volatility so cheaply now that the market's moved, that liquidity that you think is there in the options market that is keeping things stable completely evaporates and goes away. Right. So it's very fickle. And, and so I think the thing I don't like probably about it is that it gives you the illusion of an unbelievably stable market with a lot of liquidity that we've seen evidence in the past. For example, we go to the Volmageddon event in early 2018. <clears throat> if you get a data point that surprises the market enough, then that liquidity and that you know, stability that you thought you had in the market can suddenly evaporate because no one wants to sell you these options anymore. And the price of these options, you know, the volatility, they might offer it at 10 or 15. Now they might be offering at 50 or 60. So it could triple in a day and that can can create instability in itself because people might have been relying on being able to put their hedges on at such cheap levels. And now suddenly that that liquidity has gone away from them. Right. So I think that is probably the risk, but I think you need something quite game changing to, to, for that, for, for those market makers to kind of pull their offers away and say, right, we're not selling this stuff because we're not sure.
1: Right. Okay, great. All right. So it sounds like one downside is the fact that it um, it kind of engenders complacency that things are going to be stable going forward and when it gets surprised we talked about how the market makers were there basically um you know working hard to keep the tiger in the cage right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but when these options start becoming worthless and they don't need to protect them anymore with that trading you have both surprise losses on behalf of the folks that place these options trades right so they're getting injured but then you have the market makers basically removing the bars from the cage <laughs> and the tiger gets out and you know then surprises yeah. a lot of people right so you have yeah. that risk um I, I get that being an issue um let's just talk about how things work 90 plus percent of the time where the market makers are keeping the tiger in the cage and things are remarkably stable. I'm just curious, is that good? I, I get that it's good for the zero DTE traders who are selling those options because they're just going to capture the options premium and they're doing it at high volume, right? But is that good for markets? In other words, is that does that suppress true price discovery? You know, should more natural volatility is more natural volatility getting suppressed that would otherwise be driven by fundamentals, but it's getting contained because of this?
0: Yeah, to some extent I, I I can hear that argument. Uh, but isn't that what central banks have been doing since two thousand and
1: eight suppressing volatility? yeah and yeah look I, I, you know personally I, <laughs> I I think they're culpable for that too, right? Uh, and, and yeah, not, I'm not yeah, coming yeah. here to 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 beat up on options, but I'm just curious yeah. anything that that suppresses something to me feels like you're interrupting with natural natural market forces and natural price discovery, right.
0: Yeah, but you could argue, you know, the people who are selling those options are taking a risk, right? They're, when you say they're, it's not like they're, it's not like they're printing money, and then using that money to take bets on the options market and suppress volatility, right? They, the people who are selling these options are taking the risk that these options can hurt them. So, so you could argue that's natural. That's a natural force. Like if they've got reason to believe that is a profitable strategy, selling options. They're selling options and they're taking the risk that goes along with that. As long as you are taking the other side of the bet, as long as you are taking the risk, as long and you're also taking the chance of making money, then that is natural forces at work, in my opinion. Right? It's when you don't have any downside that is artificial, right? And I don't think you can say that about these option sellers.
1: Yeah. Um, See what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I, I I totally get that. Um, let me give you a parable and then we can move on from this because i'm I'm literally just spitballing here in real time um <laughs> I appreciate you doing it with me. but um I guess where I one of the areas where I worry about is um, and this probably doesn't happen this way, but let's say that there's a company that otherwise should, Trade according to its fundamentals, right? Is it growing its profits? Is it, you know, doing mm-hmm. a good job of, of creating value or not? Right. And then let's say you get a couple of big institutional players who just decide that they want to sell zero DTE you know, options against that stock, right? Or we could make this an index, but let's just make it a stock for simplicity's sake. And they're keeping that that the price of that, that instrument artificially range bound where the average retail investor is investing with one thesis, which is, oh, I think fundamentals are gonna matter, but the big guys can push it around and contain it because they know if they can do it at a a big enough scale because of their deep pockets that they can make money for themselves here and kind of screw everybody else, right? So Mm -hmm. just curious if you have, maybe I'm overthinking. Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that there is potential for that a little bit, but I, I would also say that you know the fundamental thesis is usually a much longer term thesis, right? So so whilst these these impacts of options can have short term impact for sure, and they can hold a stock still for a week or a few weeks or even longer, ultimately they might be doing you a favor, right? Because you've had time to see, to do your work on the fundamentals, to decide that this stock is the wrong price and you wanna own it for the next God knows how many years because it's cheap. And they're preventing the price from running away from you. So you're actually getting a chance to build your position, own it. As long as you can stay in that trade for longer, they're doing you a favor. Because if the markets were efficient and everyone knew what the stock was worth and they weren't suppressing the stock, maybe it'd be running away from you.
1: you Okay, okay. So what you're saying is is zero DTE, these short-term options, they can kind of slow price discovery, but they, they don't arrest it forever. And so, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah, all right. Um, I totally get that. And really, kind of where I was going with all these questions, Imran was just like, "Is the zero DT phenomenon something that keeps you up at night?" Right? No, okay. Doesn't sound like it is at all. Okay, no. great. So let's let's get into the heart of kind of what you do, right? So your your job basically, and thank goodness there are people out there like you who do this, is saying, "Hey, if you're going to trade options, if you want to get into the option space, then get educated." Right, like you know, be smart about it. It takes experience. You need to have access to quality information. You know, don't just go in there and wing it like a cowboy, because that's how most retail investors lose all their money in options. Right. Um, So you educate people about how to trade options, Um, and then you, if I understand correctly, you you have research that you release on a regular basis that people can use to inform their options trading about, okay, what's volatility telling us, you know what are opportunities that are emerging or risks that you should be more aware of today? Um, you're nodding as I'm saying all this, but feel free to clarify anything I didn't mention about what you do. But what, what is the options market telling you right now? Um, you've already told us a little bit that maybe the current 3 4% pullback maybe is getting along in the tooth because people aren't panicking. You mm-hmm. you um you said around yields uh, if I remember correctly, uh, maybe I even don't remember correctly what you said about yields. So if they're telling us something about the bond market, please let us know that too.
0: Yeah, so so you know what we do, um, like you said, I'll quickly elaborate on w- what we do. So we offer options training. Uh, so I've traded options for over twenty years at some of the biggest banks on Wall Street. Um, I set up Options Insight about four or five years ago. The goal was to lift the lid on options. And explain them in layman's terms, understandable terms. You don't need to be a mathematician or a rocket scientist to understand these things, and just show people how to use them intelligently uh, at, in, a, in an understandable way. Okay, and give that guidance. That that was the mission. That was the goal. Um, so we, I, I run courses to do that. Various tiers, various levels of courses, depending on how deep in the weeds you want to get. Um, but then after you've done that, that education, it's not a case of you're then going to go on and be a be a millionaire option trader right you, you need a practice you need to have someone alongside you holding your hand guiding you showing you how to put the new skills into practice so that's what our services ongoing services are so we write daily we write daily notes weekly notes we run our own options portfolios to give people insight into the whole life cycle of an option trade so from idea generation to trade implementation because you know you can trade five or six 10 different strategies to to be bullish or bearish on a stock so we kind of show you right if this is your view how do we look at the volatility surface to decide what what implementation is the most efficient that fits your time horizon fits your view on volatility fits your view on the market and then once you've executed that trade how do you manage that trade how do you risk manage it how do you restructure it if it needs restructuring how do you think about those things right so that that is what our full service does. Um, and now i forgotten
1: the other question you asked. <laughs> okay, no, so the, the other question was, so what is, the you, you're writing testing. these daily reports, you know, you're, yeah. you're doing your, your analysis. What is the option market telling you about the current environment in which we find ourselves in? Yeah, so in general, I would say volatility is still pretty low across most asset classes. Okay, so
0: you've got some commodities absolutely at their lows, likes of gold, I'm talking about volatility here. It's a gold vol, silver, uh, copper. Some of the metals vol is very, very cheap, um, as is oil, actually, right? So commodities vol is just very, very cheap um, and and offers good opportunities if you have directional views on that stuff. Um, Equity vol has had a little bit of a bounce recently, as has bond volatility. Like we said, people got a little bit spooked by the the yield move um, over the last few weeks. Um, But in the last move last week, in the the kind of weakness that we saw in in markets, we didn't see any follow through on the vol. We actually started to see monetization of puts. We started to see vol not performing. And that was suggesting to us, well, market makers are quite comfortable here, which means the odds of a big acceleration lower were were pretty low. So we're starting to think if you have been running shorts, you probably want to flip the book a bit long now, Um, So from what the options market is telling us. Right. So so that's kind of what I'm seeing there. But in general, I just try and look across the whole landscape, FX, commodities, sectors, equities, bonds, just to see. Are there any little pockets of the market that where there's some action, where there's something changing? Maybe there's some divergences between, like I said, between what SKU is telling us versus what the market is moving, which direction it's moving, because option players will generally be quite early to act. Right. So, you know, some of the most sophisticated investors are active in options markets. So if you're if you're looking at the market through that lens, at least you get to see what those flows are and whether they are telling you anything. Right. So that's what we try and monitor so we can see that ahead of time. We can tell people about it. We can try and make our own inferences about what it's telling us, whether it's a leading indicator, what it's telling us about positioning. Are there any pockets of fragility in the market? which assets are leading versus which ones are lagging, things like that, basically. Like, like dollar yen was an interesting one. You know, before dollar yen had a, had a big sell-off from 145 to 138, we started to see SKU and Volgo quite bid in dollar yen. That was a bit of a lead on what the Bank of Japan were going to do. Um, and we were able to flag that and to tell people about that. And, and that worked out quite well.
1: Okay. So um, you may have just answered a little bit of this already, but um, so you definitely have... Yeah, you look closely at volatility, right? And you you look at what's happening on on the call and put trade side of things. Um, how often, how do you, if at all, bring in either uh, macro analysis or technical analysis to help determine? Okay, uh, this is you know, th- this is an attractive trade to put on, right? Like you might have a trade that's attractive to to be put on because use your, one of your examples there, all of a sudden people aren't buying as much protection anymore. So it sort of indicates a, a confidence shift. Do you ever marry that into a larger macro thesis or, 100%. hey, there's a technical indicator that just got tripped and that combined with this you know, confidence marker we're seeing means X to us?
0: 100%. I mean, I, I would say that to come up with an idea in the first place, I have to have some sort of macro view. Right. So and, unless it's a purely technical thing, because we're approaching a big options expiry, and I've got a read on the street positioning, and I basically am I'm very confident the market is just going to be stuck, and what, that's what we call pinned. If I think the market's going to be pinned for expiry and go nowhere, then that would be a that would be a view based purely on what I'm seeing in options. But normally, when I'm taking directional views that is based on the macro, that is based on technicals, that's based on macro and the trends that we're seeing within macro It's based on sentiment, where the sentiment's got overstretched or one way or another. It's, it's, a, whole, it's a whole multitude of factors. And then what, the layer of options allows me to then figure out what's the implementation of the trade. What is the optimal way to actually position for my macro view? and take advantage of what the shape of the options surface looks like, right? So I'll give you a few examples. So if I was bullish on an asset, there's various ways of playing that, right? I could buy call options. Now, if I was going to buy call options, what expiry would I buy? Would I buy one month, two months, six months? So I'd have to have a time horizon on that view, on that trade. But then what if the six-month options are really, really expensively priced and the one month are really cheap, right? Would that change my implementation? And then this is just one option we're talking about, buying a call option. What if I want to do what we call a call spread, where I buy a call and then I sell a call further further out with a higher strike because that cheapens the cost. And that also reduces my exposure to volatility because I think volatility is expensive, right? So you what, what options allow me to do is express my views in a three-dimensional way. They're, they allow me to express my view not just on the direction of an asset, but also on the direction of the implied vol of the asset, and then also on the passage of time. So my timing around when that view may materialize. So it's a three-dimensional way of expressing my views. So it gives me so much more flexibility than just buying or selling a stock, right? So that's what I love about it. And that's what we teach. We, we teach because you can have very specific views about what an asset's going to do, when it's going to do it, how it's going to do it. And just buying or selling the stock isn't gonna allow you to express all those all those opinions. Whereas finding an option structure will actually allow you to express all those views in one go, right?
1: Are you still there? I've lost you. Sorry about that <laughs> hiccup in the system. Um, oh no. Was, no, was, it's okay. Was, it's all good. We're still recording. <laughs> and it got it. it got all your stuff. Don't worry. Oh, um, did it. oh okay. Oh, yeah, course. you're good. Um, every once in a while when I haven't re- um, rebooted my computer in like a week, which it's looking like I haven't, um, I'll start having this issue, but it, it, it'll be okay. I just turn off my camera, turn it back on, and we're good. Oh, no. um, let me just note the time here. Um, cut, freeze. Um, Okay, super helpful, Imran. So, um, for for somebody who like wants to use a service like yours, um, are they do they have to bring their own thesis every time? And you're just your system is educating them on how best to go at, pursue and position for that thesis, or are you guys also surfacing? potential opportunities um, based upon your your macro and fundamental outlook where I, I'm, I'm gonna make this up, correct me, tell us what exactly goes on, but you you guys might say, oh, well here at Options Insight, we're seeing this opportunity emerge right now and we're gonna place this type of trade. You can all come follow us in it if you want to.
0: Yeah, 100%, we, uh, we do publish trades. Uh, so one part of our service is our options overlay portfolio where we send out alerts on what trades we're doing ourselves. Um, They go into our portfolio. We we give you a weekly look into that portfolio, how the trades are doing. But generally, I bucket my trades into four different categories. So, uh, and this is all my own money that I'm trading. I'm I'm not trading any external capital. So it's just how I run my own money, views that I want to express that I have, and I give people a look into how I'm doing that. And the idea isn't just... Let's like say we're not financial advisors. It's just me with my views based on what I'm reading from the macro and what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking. Uh, but it shows you that if you happen to agree with what I think and, and you know you want to express a similar view, it's showing you how I put that on and mm-hmm. how I think about it and why I do it. So it is still very much about the education. But if you if you are struggling to formulate your own views because you don't have that much experience then you do get to benefit from my own views and my own insights because I am actively trading on a on a daily and weekly basis yeah
1: okay um and you know t- trading options um you know like i said it's it's you know trading stocks and bonds on steroids if you will where it's just I'm not. I'm not trying to overly complicate it, but um, because you're you're using leverage, and and because the trades you make sometimes you know or many times are sort of an all or nothing trade, or not necessarily, but but um, they move oftentimes a lot further and faster than just buying a single stock or a bond. Um, you know, the, the the learning curve for options uh, is is a bit longer um, and steeper than that for just becoming a, a regular investor. And, and again on this channel, I tell most people, yes, educate yourself, get as much experience as you can, but work with an experienced advisor until you've really gotten your sea legs and you've really developed your own expertise here. And and many people never get to the point where they really feel fully confident to be their own portfolio manager. And that's fine because people have real lives to, you know, focus on and stuff like that. So for somebody who has not Traded options in the past, but says, "You know what? I think I actually want to do this." How long does it usually take somebody to the point where they 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 get up to the point where they're 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 really experienced and they really know what they're doing? I mean, is again, what I want to make sure is if somebody is is entering under this journey that they're being realistic about the commitment and the effort that it's going to take to actually get pretty good at it.
0: That's a great question. Um I mean, look, we've had various people come through our community over the years. Um generally, I mean, if if you don't really have much experience at all and you you are coming in as a bit of a beginner, I think it's going to take you probably at least a year to really get comfortable. Um so, you know, I mean, uh, the the options course, the syllabus that I that I've written, you know, I teach that in 2 days at a weekend in an intensive boot camp and um and, and, you know, it, it kind of blows people's minds a bit. And I'm like, relax, it takes junior traders in banks, like six months to learn this stuff. And then they got to practice it. And, and they probably don't get good at it for another six to 12 months, right. So mm-hmm. I think it does take time, because you can learn all the theory, but you won't really get it until you experience the P&L, and you make mistakes, and you live and breathe with the positions. And you see where they work and where they don't work. And then you see how they fit in with your own style of trading, right? And what are you good at? What type of options trades are you good at doing? What are you not so good at doing, right? So like I was saying before, I bucket trades into four categories, right? So we have delta trades, which are directional. So using options to express a directional trade, you might be really good at that. Um, We have income trades or carry trades, as we call them. Which are, which are about earning premium. So you're short options and you're trying to earn premium, but we do it in ways that are protected, that don't blow us up, basically, because the thing that we never want to be <laughs> doing at Options Insight is getting people into trades that's going to blow up their account. Uh, then we also have vega trades, which are more volatility-based trades. They don't have a lot of directional bias, but they might have. they might be taking advantage of the volatility surface. It might be an opinion on the VIX that we're trading, whether the VIX is going to go up or down. We're quite we, we're quite regular faders or VIX spikes. Uh, whenever the VIX spikes, it has a bit of a gravity to it. And we, we often come in and buy puts on the VIX as a way of selling that. Uh, and then we've got the hedge part of the portfolio where I have underlying investments in my long-term holdings, but markets look stretched one way or another. And I put a hedge on the other way, like a collar, as you described, which is a put versus a call, a long put versus a short call you might collar some of my exposure to try and play a correction and things like that. So so the idea is once you practice all these different styles of trade and you get a feel for what you like lo- what what works for you, what you how you like to think about these things, that's when you really get good and you can start to think more professionally and actually make a bit of a living out of this type of stuff.
1: Okay. So um just making sure people really understand here, there, there's the knowledge part of it where you're you're getting all the information in your head and you're sort of academically understanding how all these things work and you can structure a trade in your mind and whatnot. But then there's the practice part of it, right? Where you go out and you do this and you get surprised by the market all the time, right? The famous Mike Tyson quote, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Um, so you have to understand how you're going to react, you know, how to react to surprises, along the way and what what that means for your position. And I'm just curious, um, in addition to just building the experience of real doing this in the real world, I imagine there's gotta be kind of an emotional component in a discipline that you have to create over time as well, because again, because options have a lot more leverage than a traditional long or short position. Um, they can be pretty stressful. You know, you can have a trade go against you much faster, uh, more quickly, et cetera. So I'm just curious, is is there an emotional component to talk to here?
0: Yeah, but I think that emotional components in all trading, because the reality is like once you understand how options work, you size them differently to the way you would size a straightforward stock position, right? So, you know, we we in our overlay portfolio, we give sizing examples so that we say that if you had a hundred grand portfolio how would you size the option trade and what exposure would that give you so so you know as long as you understand how the sizing works and the leverage that you have in an option trade yes the option itself could multiply by three or five or it could go to zero but that's why you don't put five percent of your portfolio in it basically Right. right you maybe put 50 basis points of your portfolio in it because you factored that in you know and, and you, the, the longer the duration of the option, the more premium you're going to be willing to commit to that option because it's not going to evaporate in a month. It's going to be there for six to 12 months or whatever. So that's what we're, again, we're giving guidance and education around sizing so that you get to see that they don't have to be the things that are just you know creating crazy volatility in your portfolio unless you size them crazily. But that's not what we teach
1: you to do. Got it. Okay, great point. And, and it actually really does... Um it's consistent with points that a lot of our financial advisors make on this program about the importance of position sizing just in your own portfolio, just on the long and short side as well. So it sounds like a lot of the same uh, best practices apply with options as they do with regular instruments. Um, all right. Well, look, Imran, this has been great. As we as we wrap up here, um, uh, I guess just a general question I'll toss out there. Feel free to not answer it if you feel you've already done so, but like um, uh, I, I generally, when we have a you know an analyst on this program, we talk a, a bit about the macro side of things and where they see the market headed and whatnot. Do you you and or options insight have a particular point of view when you look out six months, a year from now, about where you see things headed, either in the overall economy or in the markets, or are you pretty much a I just look at the data you know, pretty much on a, uh, on a day-to-day basis and I, I look at what I can make a trade off of and that's kind of how I place my, how I look at the world.
0: No, I try to have multiple time horizons in terms of my view of the market. So I'll have, I'll have kind of a six to 12 month horizon view um, and then I'll, I'll then use my insights of what I see in the options markets and maybe layer tactical things around that um so at the moment you know we we do think the market's got another upswing in it um in the near term uh but 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 then we also think that there's probably a more meaningful correction not too far in the future as well so so whilst we may get a bit of strength over the next sort of you know month or so we wouldn't be surprised if the seasonal weakness that you get into september october maybe late September, early October comes along again because there's quite a lot of seasonality and volatility often as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you often get vol spikes into kind of September, October time. Um, and then that would probably put, set up an opportunity to buy the market again for a year-end move higher. Um, you know, longer term with a recession, probably going to rear its head. I mean, it's hard to say. A lot of people are calling for, starting to call for soft landing us. I'm not overly convinced just yet. Um, I just think the cycle has been a bit extended, um, but but we probably do still see some sort of recession, maybe early next year might not happen before the end of this year. Um, So I suspect stocks are not going to be. It really does depend on what the Fed's reaction to that is. Right. Some people are calling for the idea that the Fed kind of wants to engineer a bit of a recession to really just kill inflation for good. um, And that's kind of factored into some of their forecasts. But the market has this kind of muscle memory that the minute you see recession the feds gonna start easing right so some people are in the camp that the minute we see inflation down below target and with rates at five percent you know it's just far too restrictive that the feds not going to want to keep rates in such restrictive territory right and keep real yields that high because they know that's going to really screw the economy so so they're going to start pivoting so there's two camps there right so I'm not smart enough to know wh- which camp is right so uh, uh but so, so i'm aware of all these factors uh and i'm just trying to kind of see what the vol market's telling me see how the macros playing out uh and, and kind of try and like I say position in real time for it but 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 also asset allocate my long-term portfolio to benefit like for example i've been i've been allocating into uh commodities for a while now i like having some real assets in the portfolio I also have some crypto um, because I do think the fiat currency debasement is is pretty much the only end game. So, so I definitely think crypto has to be a part of the portfolio. I'm not saying it has to be the largest part of the portfolio because it does tend to be quite high vol. Although not at the moment, I don't know if you watch crypto yourself, but crypto is moving less than most commodities right now. Uh, I mean, it's it's amazing crypto vol. I mean, Bitcoin's
1: at- been pegged near twenty thousand for. Or sorry, 30,000 for... Yeah,
0: 20, 20, between 28 and a half, 20, yeah, 30, just under 30,000 has been for, for ages now. Yeah. And volatility is in the 20s, right? We, we're we not used to seeing crypto vol in the 20s. So so there are some great long-term opportunities for those who want to buy crypto options because you can trade those and they're quite liquid. And we, we do that. We do a crypto weekly product as well where we show what we're doing in crypto vol because I got into crypto vol in 2020 um, because it was just a clear great trading opportunity because the vol the thing about options trading is that the most opportunity comes in markets where the spot moves around a lot and mm-hmm. the vol moves around a lot so when you've got high vol of vol and high vol of spot it's kind of an option trader's dream right so there was i i just got completely enticed into trading that in 2020 and and it worked really well um now the vols obviously suppressed a bit and it's kind of calmed down but crypto's got got a habit of coming back to life it just needs a few headlines to get it going, and uh, there's a few catalysts coming early next year, like like the uh, Bitcoin uh, ETF approval that's likely to come. Now that BlackRock are getting involved, you've uh, also got the halving, which tends to be a cyclical upturn in Bitcoin as well. So we do think, and and if you if that coincides with the Fed pivot, because recessions here finally then I think all those things are gonna work into the hands of crypto. And so getting into some longer-dated upside in crypto is probably quite a good trade in in our opinion.
1: Okay, great. That's what we do. And and I'll just say this because I think it it extends beyond cryptos, which is uh, your point about um, options tend to, it tends to be a really good environment for options when you have both high spot volatility and high volatility of, of volatility. Um, because you get lots of chances, lots of extra chances to get proved right, right? In other words, you can you can have your bet, you could f- see the next day, oh my gosh, the market moved against me, it looks like I've lost, but then it reverses again the next day, because things are so volatile, and you're like, oh wait, no, I'm back in the green again, okay, great.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not just that, because I mean, remember, you can you can use options to express a directional view on the market, but you can also use options to express a view on volatility. True, so, yeah. If volatility goes up and you think it's going to go up and it goes up a hell of a lot, you can make a lot of money, irrespective of the direction of the market, right? Similarly, if that goes up so high, what we tend to see is gravity, right? We tend to see vol spikes don't stay up there forever. It comes back down to earth. So that's where the benefit is, because if you're a type of vol trader who can go long and short vol, then you can benefit from the upswings and the downswings of volatility mm. irrespective of the moves in the underlying asset.
1: Okay. Uh, very good point. All right. Well, look, uh, this has been fascinating. Um, I think it's been really enlightening for the folks that you know came to this video, really not understanding much about options at all. Really enjoyed the conversation. And again, I'm going to send a note of thanks to Darius for connecting us. Um, for folks that are interested in learning more about um, you and your service uh, options insights, um, maybe want to follow you and your work, where should they go?
0: Yeah. So we've got a few channels. We've uh, we're pretty big on Twitter. uh, So options underscore insight uh, at options underscore insight is our Twitter handle. Uh, We're pretty active on on a daily basis on there. with various little clips out of our content and what we're thinking, and what we're doing. Um, We've got a YouTube channel as well, uh, where we, um, Put, put some of our crypto content on there. Also, some of our interviews of uh, seasoned traders that I've worked with in the industry before, um, talking about options, talking about the market in general as well. Um, but otherwise, our website's a good place to come to learn about all our products and services, which is um, options-insight.com.
1: Great. And Imran, when we edit this, I'll put the uh, I'll overlay the URLs to both your Twitter handle uh, and to your website, so folks know exactly where to go. We'll also put links... Perfect in the description below this video as well. Um, all right, folks, well, look, um, thanks so much for, for hanging with Imran and I here. Um, I'm just gonna repeat my normal um, advisory on this channel, which is that if you want to uh, safely navigate your wealth in general for you know whatever road lies ahead, highly recommend you work with a professional financial advisor to do so. If you wanna start adding options trading to that strategy, great. Just make sure you keep your financial advisor informed so that you guys can talk about how much of your portfolio maybe should be allocated for this type of strategy versus how much you want to keep in other things. Um, To uh, have a conversation with one of our endorsed financial advisors, just go fill out the short form at wealthion.com. Only takes a couple of seconds to fill out the consultations that you'll get after you fill out the form completely free no commitment to work with these guys. Uh, It's just a uh, public service they offer to help as many people as possible position themselves prudently, especially if they don't already have a good financial advisor to rely on. Um, And if you're interested in learning more about options, I cannot underscore enough the value of getting educated. And that's exactly what Imran and his team do there. So if you are thinking about getting more into options, definitely go check out Imran's resources there. Uh, Imran, this has been great. Folks, if you'd like to see him come back on this channel and tell us more about what he sees the option market telling him as we get further into the second half of this year, um, please voice your support for that by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Thanks so much, Imran. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you, Adam. It was great. great to chat.
1: All right. And everyone else, thanks so much for watching.